Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Agape love gets really sloppy because people think that the loving thing is to not challenge someone about their sinful behavior. And so under the umbrella of we're just loving each other, it's just love, then we don't ever confront anybody about their sinful behavior. And so that can translate into you're proud of this because you're not doing anything about it. You see, you're pretending like under the umbrella of God is love. And we're all love, and we should all be about love. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Corinthians. Pastor Gary will talk with you today about something he calls sloppy agape, a love that's deemed unconditional but is really just allowing everyone to continue sinning with no consequences. This isn't what agape love is supposed to be. The church needs to confront sinful behavior because of love. If you allow sin to continue in your life after you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, you're not truly following Him. Jesus calls you to repent of your sins, and that requires actively abandoning them forever. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 5 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler with such a man do not even eat. Then he adds, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. Whoa. All right. So this is a serious chapter, and it's because there's serious sin going on here. Now, what exactly is going on? He says that there is sexual immorality among you. Back here in verse 1, the term sexual immorality, if you have a King James Bible, it says fornication. It is the Greek word pornea. And we get our English word pornography from that word. And it is a word that is a broad term, a broad word to cover all types of sexual sin. All right. Now, for those of you who 
don't understand God's view of sexuality and what the Bible has to say about sexuality, let me just kind of summarize it in a quick sentence or two, okay? Because I mean this sincerely. I never know who understands, you know, what God's view is of human sexuality. I mean, after all, God created human sexuality, so he's obviously, it's a gift and he's behind it. But what the Bible teaches is that there's one legitimate expression for sexuality, and that is within the context of a marriage between one man and one woman, Okay? Everything else outside of that is sexual sin. Everything. Yeah, I know that sounds like so narrow. Well, here's the deal. God created a beautiful thing that is a beautiful gift to be enjoyed in the context of marriage. When you try to experience it or express it outside of God's original design, it has consequences to it. It just does. I remember years ago, our pediatrician called me up. And that doesn't usually happen, you know, so when you get a phone call from your doctor, it's like, what is that about? But he was a guy who knew I was a pastor, and he didn't really understand Scripture. And so he, he was asking me, because he, has, he was raising a teenager. I mean, we had a good relationship, the doctor and I, but people who don't really know me know me call me Reverend Hamrick anyway. So they're nothing Reverend about me. But anyhow, so he says, Reverend Hamrick, can you give me some advice from Scripture about, you know, some guidelines for my teenagers because you know, I'm afraid they're going to start to get sexually active? I said, Dr., you as a doctor don't need me to tell you scripture. I will tell you, but you can just from a medical standpoint point out how many sexually transmitted diseases are there. He says, well, there's over 30. I said, yeah, okay. Why don't you start there? Because the reality is that when we violate God's original intention, we open ourselves up to the consequences. And so that's the way it works. And so God's best and his original design is for sexuality to be expressed in the context of a loving monogamous marriage between one man and one woman now in this case here he says there's sexual immorality among you and so we don't know exactly what you know what form of sexual sin there is but the word is pornea so it means it covers everything so that there's no ambiguity okay you know it's none of this i did not have because that's a different definition right so it's like when there's confusion about well what is real sex then i did not have what is is and all that kind of nonsense right so it's like i'm not technically it wasn't really you know and so stop all the technical splitting of hairs there's a whole understanding of sexual sin in its broadest sense if it isn't between a man and a woman in marriage it's sexual sin and so what is happening here is there's some form of sexual sin among you in the church he says a kind that doesn't even occur among pagans which is serious because even the heathen and pagans out in the world aren't doing what's going on in the church here all right and what's going on in the church he says a man has his father's wife now that is bad and it is bad uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean his mom. Because if, if it, uh, the way the language is worded, if it meant that there's a son sleeping with his mother, and it would be incestuous, obviously, it would say his mother. But when it says his father's wife, the implication is it's a stepmother. It's still bad, all right? But it's stepmom, not biological, physical mom. So now, so dad has... You know, maybe mom died or, or dad divorced and remarried. So his new wife and the son of the dad are having some kind of sexual sin in their relationship. All right? Now, I don't know if this is cougar danger. Because if dad married another woman his age, this is cougar time right here. All right? Or maybe dad married a PYT. 
pretty young thing, all right? For those of you who don't understand Michael Jackson, all right? So maybe dad married a really young, and so she's the same age as a son. We don't know any of those details. All we know is there's some sexual sin going on, and the church, the church is saying that's okay. That's okay because he says in verse 2, and you are proud. You're proud of this. Now, why would they be proud of this? I mean, are they that much of gas bags that they are thinking to themselves, this is fine, this is wonderful, we applaud this. No, here's what's probably going on, okay? And this is a problem that happens in some churches. And it's what I affectionately call sloppy agape. It's when agape love gets really sloppy because people think that the loving thing is to not challenge someone about their sinful behavior. And so under the umbrella of we're just loving each other, it's just love, then we don't ever confront anybody about their sinful behavior. And so that can translate into you're proud of this because you're not doing anything about it. You see, you're pretending like under the umbrella of God is love and we're all love and we should all be about love. That it doesn't matter what you're doing. God loves you and I love you. And it doesn't matter what I'm doing because God loves me and I love me. You know, and that's the way it kind of works. And so it's sloppy agape. Paul's like, you shouldn't be proud of this. You should be proud of this. You should be throwing this guy out of your church. Now, this chapter deals with the subject of church discipline. It deals with the subject of church discipline. And it looks harsh. And it is harsh. But sometimes drastic measures are necessary for the health and well-being of the body and for this individual. Because if the church is not confronting this guy, and by the way, it doesn't mention anything. This is directed toward the man, towards the son. So there's some indication that the woman is not even a believer and she may not even be a part of the church. So the responsibility is on this guy and Paul's addressing the guy here. And he's saying, you need to throw this guy out of your church. Again, this is a drastic measure for a drastic situation because this man's soul is in jeopardy and the health and well-being of the church is in jeopardy. And that's why there needs to sometimes be church discipline. And he gives this chapter as a guideline of here's how we conduct church discipline. And he basically is going to answer four questions. The first one is, on what basis should church discipline be exercised? And then he's going to answer, in what manner? And then he's going to answer, with what authority? And then finally, he's going to answer, for what purpose? So, first here, he says again in verse 2, And you're proud. He says, shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? So, For those of you taking notes, let's answer the first question. On what basis should church discipline be exercised? And, you know, again, this kind of thing should be rare but necessary when there is ongoing unaddressed sin in a fellowship that has the potential of ruining a person's life and corrupting the church body in general. So on what basis should church discipline be exercised? The first answer is when there is ongoing unrepentant sin. And in verse 1 there, this is the charge, a man has his father's wife. And I underline the word has because in the the original language, it is written in the present infinitive, meaning it is ongoing. So this is not a one-time deal. That would be bad too. But this is an ongoing thing. All right? And because it's an ongoing, unrepentant thing, Paul says you've allowed it to go on and on and on and on. All right? So he says you got to address this. That's the basis. This is ongoing, 
and it's unrepentant. And you guys are applauding it. All right. Now, the second question then is, in what manner should church discipline be exercised? And he's going to answer that also in verse 2. He says, with a sorrowful heart. Because he says, you know, shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? He says, you should be brokenhearted about this. He said, this should break your heart to see a brother in your fellowship who's living in sexual sin and you're doing nothing about it. It should fill your heart with grief out of compassion for this guy. Not out of this, you know, we have to be careful. There's nothing in here that indicates this mean, abrasive, vindictive, holier-than-thou kind of confrontation to just shame somebody. That's not here. This is, if you really want to love somebody, you will do sometimes the difficult thing and confront them. That's the loving thing sometimes. So he says, the right thing to do is for your heart to be filled with grief, for you to be brokenhearted over this and say, wow, this is happening in your own fellowship, and this guy is sleeping with his father's wife, and you know, we, need to, we need to do something about this. So in what manner should it be done? With a broken heart. And then he's going to answer, with what authority? Because people are going to say, well, who gives us the right to do this? You know, as a church, Paul, you know, how can we do this? Who says that we should do this? Because in reality, none of us is better than the next person. We're all sinners, saved by grace. So if we all take that approach, then none of us would ever confront anybody because we recognize we're all sinners anyhow. And so Paul answers and he basically says this, well, church leadership acting on the authority of of Jesus Christ. He said, you guys have to step it up because that's when he says there, he says, verse 4, when you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus and I am with you in spirit. So he invokes his apostolic authority. He says, I'm with you in spirit. I can't be there. But he says, you have my blessings. And he says, and you're going to do this in the name of the Lord Jesus. You're doing this in the authority of Christ. You're not trying to just, you know, lord it over somebody and make them feel ashamed, but you're to go in the authority of Christ. And with my apostolic authority, he said, I'm with you in spirit. You need to address this in your flock. And then for what purpose? Okay, and that's an important question. I, many years ago, was asked to arbitrate at another church a ways from here, not in Loudoun County, uh, because there was a problem that the congregation had with the pastor, and the pastor had gotten into some sinful stuff, and so they asked me to come and help arbitrate it, and I, and I asked the congregation at the beginning of the meeting, here's my question to you. This is many years ago. I said, here's my question to you. Are you interested in helping him? And with one voice, they said, No. So I said, why are we here then? This meeting needs to be over because they're not following the purpose here. Now, the purpose is twofold. Why do you sometimes have to exercise church discipline where there's a sin issue going on? And the first answer is for correction, salvation, and restoration of the person. For correction, salvation, and restoration of the person. When he says in verse 5, hand this man over to Satan so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord, he's basically saying, hand this man over to Satan so that he will come to his senses. If you coddle him and if you make him think that what he's doing is okay, you actually rob him of being set free from the sin that is destroying him. So give him a taste of what it is like outside of the protection of the fellowship and then see if he will come to his senses because that's what's going to happen because satan's going to rip him off and satan's going to make him realize his life's a mess you know when the church unnecessarily coddles someone who is in deliberate knowingly deliberate we're not talking about because he adds here not talking about the world right the world does what the world does 
And we're talking about within the church, people who know better and understand what is right and what is wrong and understand what God's view of things right and wrong are. If the church ends up coddling people who are in deliberate, unrepentant sin, you are doing them a horrible disservice because now they think that their sin is, is embraced and protected under the church when Paul says, but this is why you have to do the hard thing. You have to tell the guy you can't stay here. Because once he goes outside of the protection of the church, then he's going to just realize how miserable his life is. You keep patting him on the back and saying, God loves you and so do we. He'll never get to the bottom of himself. So it's actually a loving thing. Okay? And I know some of you, in a different way, have had to make painful decisions about what to do with rebellious older kids in your home. And it's painfully hard. I've heard from you okay we haven't had to do it ourselves but i know enough of your testimonies and your stories that to have to put somebody out of the house but to allow them to continue to do what they're doing and wreck their lives and feel the protection of your home will will not help them to get to the bottom of themselves and sometimes sometimes i'm not saying in all cases and i think every case is unique and you need the wisdom of god to decide what's right for your family okay but sometimes what is actually best for that adult child is to say, you can't live here anymore. So that then they'll find out just how the real world is, and then they will hopefully come to, to their senses. And then you just, you just pray for them. You pray for them real hard. Okay, and that's a similar thing that's happening here. He's like, don't let this guy find protection in the family. You're going to have to set him out. And then once he gets a taste of, you know, a little bit of how Satan's going to jerk him around, then he, and then he's going to come back hopefully to his senses. Now, here's the other reason why you need to sometimes exercise church discipline for the admonition, protection, and purification of the church. What message is it sending to the rest of the body when they think that it's okay for a guy to sleep with his father's wife? So what message does it send to a church when knowing, unrepentant, sin of a lifestyle is happening and nobody's doing anything about it. The message that is communicated, whether intentionally or unintentionally, is must be okay. So I can do that too. And that's where it becomes destructive to the church. This is why he goes on here in this whole section about, uh, in verses uh, 6 through 8, talking about the yeast that works through the whole batch of dough, okay? And then he compares it to Passover because yeast is a picture of sin, and just like yeast, when you put a little bit in a batch of dough, it just by the nature of the yeast, it works its way through the whole dough. All right? I've told that, I've told that story a million times about friendship bread at our house. So I'm not going to bore you again with that whole story. But just, you know, years ago was that friendship thing. And then it exploded all over the house. I got a whole new perspective of yeast and how horrible it is. And I don't know who invented friendship bread. It should be called demonic bread. But anyway, but the whole thing exploded over our house. Okay, so I think of that every time about yeast. But it works its way through the dough and then it, and, until the whole dough is corrupted in a good sense if you're making bread but co corrupted by the yeast he says the same kind of thing's going to happen if you allow a little bit of yeast in the church that is unaddressed it's just going to infect the whole body now in a human physiological sense we all understand a healthy body learns and has the ability because god has given us in our bodies the ability to purge infection it's a wonderful mechanism that God has put within the human body, the immune system, to be able to purge infection. Okay? A body that does not purge infection will eventually die. So it is with the church. If you allow 
people just do whatever they want and they never come under conviction, they never change, then you run the risk of it destroying the church. And so for the admonition, protection, and purification of the church, Paul says these things have to be addressed. Now, let me just say this, because I don't want to leave this subject with this thing hanging like, you know, do we go around at Cornerstone, you know, pointing out all your little sin issues, and, you know, here you got this going, and we got that going, and what about this going, you know, you know, and all that kind of stuff. No. And here's the beauty. Here's the beauty. The Holy Spirit does that work much better than anybody else could in, in leadership. All right? And so the beauty of going through God's Word is that the effect of God's word will do its cleansing work in the heart of a person where you will, you will come to a place of conviction. And here's what generally happens. People will come under conviction as God works in our hearts as we go through the Bible and you change. Or here's what typically happens. And if that doesn't happen, you leave. That's what typically happens. If somebody comes and they're, and they're like, okay, this, this cuts me to the heart. All right, I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands, but that's probably our story, right? You've come, and I'm not saying necessarily here, but if you go to a place where they're teaching the Bible anywhere, that you stay there long enough, you get cut to the heart. That's the work of God's Spirit. That's the work of God's Word. That's the way it's supposed to work. And you get under the teaching of God's Word, and you use and you sit under God's Word yourself as you read it on your own, and it begins to cut your heart, and it fillets you wide open, and you come under conviction. You get your heart right with God. That isn't to say you're perfect. We're going to stumble, and then when we stumble, we get our hearts right with God again. It's a constant process of staying right with God because this is a journey. It's a marathon, not a sprint. All right? Or what typically happens is, I've heard enough of this, I'm not hearing any more of this, and then people leave. Rarely, but it can happen. And in 25 years of pastoring Cornerstone, I can count on one hand the number of people we've had to privately pull aside and say, we know and you know that you're living in blatant, unrepentant sin. You need to change or you need to leave. Because... We care enough about you and we love you to tell you the truth that this isn't right, but we're not really telling you anything you don't already know. And if we allow you to stay, other people are going to get the wrong idea that we think it's cool the way you're living. It's a tough thing. I don't enjoy doing it, and I'm thankful that, that by God's Spirit, He takes care of that 99.9% of the time. But a church that isn't at least prepared to have to address the hard things sometimes is a church that may potentially die because a, a body that cannot purge itself of the infection will end up dying from it so while this seems harsh folks while this seems harsh i want you to make a little notation in the margin of your bible write down this verse second corinthians chapter 2 verses 5 through 11 all right right there at the end of chapter 5 right where we're leaving off I want you to write 2 Corinthians 2, 5 through 11. Here's going to be the follow-up. In his second letter, we don't know how much time has really passed here. They end up kicking this guy out. In his second letter, Paul says, bring that guy back now. Because he's come to a place of brokenness. And you don't want him to feel more unnecessary shame. Otherwise then... Satan will take advantage of that and make this guy think he's never good enough to come back into the body. So he says, I want you to go after this guy and I want you to bring him back into the fold because he's repented now. So there's another side of this whole story. It's like you need to kick him out because you love him enough to tell him the hard truth because you love the church enough to protect the church. But then in 2 Corinthians, he says, I want you to now go get this guy and bring him back in because the punishment has been sufficient for him and he's come back. 
to the fellowship. And you need to make sure that you wrap your arms around him and love this guy so that he doesn't for the rest of his life think that he's scum. He love this guy and bring him back in. So there's a beautiful part two to this story. We hope today's message from the book of 1 Corinthians has blessed you and drawn you closer to Jesus. Pastor Gary has more to share, but this is where we need to end for today. Feel free to read ahead before you join us next time on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this message again or explore other teachings from Pastor Gary Hamrick, just visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can even download our mobile app to stay connected to the truth of God's Word everywhere you go. If you're in the Leesburg area, you're invited to join us for our weekly gatherings at Cornerstone Chapel. Come by on Sunday or Wednesday to spend time in worship, Bible study, and fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You'll be able to find service times and directions on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc or give us a call. We can be reached at 703-771-1500. And when you call, please let us know how we can be praying for you. That number again is 703-771-1500. Would you pray for us too? Please pray that we keep our eyes always on the truth of who God is and that we move forward only by His power. Thanks for praying and thanks for tuning in today. To Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul, that you've got no place to go, but still you know.